Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wool on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Over the last few weeks, you have probably heard an awful lot about the Facebook whistleblower, uh, Frances Hogan, and uh, also the Facebook files that she released, which I guess have become the Facebook papers. Uh, Many of the released documents were on internal studies conducted by Facebook about the impact of various Facebook services and features within those services. Uh, I should note that I think that there's lots of value in having this information out there, and I support the idea of corporate whistleblowers sharing useful information with the media. Uh, I should also note that I think that uh, the big social media companies, and maybe the small ones as well, should be a lot more open to working with outside researchers, especially academics, to do studies on the impacts of their features and services and to commit to release those findings publicly. However, uh, one reason that they might not uh, do this is clear from the way in which some of the media coverage of the Facebook papers has gone. Uh, While there have been some pieces that highlighted the internal failures within Facebook, all too often I've seen the coverage that takes one aspect of a study completely out of context and presents it uh, as some version of Facebook knew what it was doing was bad, but refused to change. Uh, But when you dig into the details, the studies often seem to be a lot more nuanced. Uh, For example, you might have heard about one of the studies that showed that Instagram made teenage girls feel bad about themselves. But the same study also showed that a higher percentage said Instagram made them feel good about themselves. That's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about those who said that they felt worse about themselves, but to note that there's a lot of nuance in there. Uh, There was a similar study, uh, a similar story that played out with the Washington Post writing about how the anger button was ranked as five times as important a signal uh, in terms of how how it impacts your newsfeed as the like button. Uh, But that story downplayed the fact that other buttons also were ranked similarly, including love and ha ha. uh, And they were ranked just as highly. Uh, And uh, also, that story downplayed the fact that Facebook pretty quickly realized that ranking anger so highly was a problem, and they changed that and uh, relatively quickly reduced the impact of the anger button down to absolutely nothing, which is was buried deep in, in that story. Uh, basically, many of the stories that are getting attention are the ones where one small bit of research is presented in the worst possible light and then taken completely out of context. And I worry that the end result of this won't be better behavior, but companies less willing to do uh, any such research. Uh, Professor Kate Klonick, uh, who has spent many, many years studying social media companies, uh, wrote a recent Twitter thread uh, that points out something very similar. And so today she is on the podcast to talk about this. So Kate, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. So uh, for folks who did not see your tweet thread, uh, can you summarize kind of the concerns, I mean, you raised sort of three different points in the thread, but let's start with that first one, because I think it's sort of getting at what I was just saying in the intro. There. Yeah, the the main thing from the first, it was a three-point thread, yes, but the main thing that I kind of wanted to raise <laughs> is a lot of what you just said, which was basically that in an era of, a new era of employee leaks, in which any type, and employees are going to go public or whistleblow on kind of um, inside private companies, um, that companies are going to look inward less. Um, And what I kind of meant by that was very much what you just summarized, which was whatever capacity that they've had for self-regulation or introspection or testing their product ahead of time and getting out of the model that we all kind of think is the worst possible model, which is just launching a product into the world without seeing how, um, without thinking through how it might impact people or by, I mean, I still think, of course, they're going to beta test things and everything else. But I do think that like these deeper studies about how psychologically it affects people or like what the what the positives and negatives are in like at a societal level. Um, I think that, I think that you'll see less of that because if 
not creating legal liability for them. It creates incredible public relations liability. Um, and uh, I think that following like the 2016 election and missing calls of like, you know, everyone's clamoring around missing dis disinformation that a lot of there was a lot of calls for places like Google and Facebook and Twitter to do this type of looking inward in these internal studies. And a lot of them resisted. And Facebook was mm -hmm. one of the few that actually kind of took it upon itself to try to launch the integrity team, which, you know, and to like just beef up the integrity team and try to make some of these things better and to do some of these internal studies. And now it's kind of biting them in the ass. Like it's kind of a real, mm -hmm. um, it's a real uh, catch 22 for them. And I think that it's going to be a lesson going forward that this won't, we're going to need actually like kind of perversely, we're going to really not be able to rely on self-regulation. Not that we were, it was super robust before anyways. Uh, but right. yeah, but definitely not anymore. But so to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, Right. I mean, a number of the articles um, were highlighting the fact that, you know, you had this integrity team, but its recommendations were not followed. It was basically the, you know, a lot of the, the points that were raised by, you know, especially by the Wall Street Journal um, and by, by Francis herself um, was that, you know, this team was making these recommendations, doing this research, and then, you know, Facebook, for whatever reason, was refusing to follow their recommendations. So in that case, you know, the argument would be that the problem wasn't the, the research, or they might say, or wasn't the reporting on the research, but the fact that the company was then, you know, not following where the research took them. Yeah, I think that, like, we've got a few people's stories on that. Um, and I don't know that Right. That and I mean, one of the criticisms, of course, of any whistleblower or any type of thing is that, you know, uh, Francis did a tremendous job collecting documents, but it's hard to kind of understand fully what happened inside the company and everything else. So I can't like really speak to that, but I think that that's correct. I mean, I do think that something that I've heard consistently, um, at least in the time that I've been covering Facebook from former employees, most notably, is that when there are calls for types of reform in the content moderation systems or the governance structures, that there is um, that there is kind of a a culture of not always um, following through on them, and they've done mu a much better job, frankly, in the last um, couple of years. But I do think that what's something a few engineers that I've been speaking with at Facebook have been saying to me lately is that actually the performance evaluations of individuals within the company and how they are actively pegged to like how every single employee has to be contributing to user growth and to the MSI hmm. is like part of the reason like you have to constructively be able to show how you helped that and like how you like you pushed that forward and if you don't like if your job is to basically take down content or find a better way of taking down <laughs> content, um, that is not not a measurement for promotion, like basically inside the company. Right. And you think to yourself, it can't be that simple. Like, and that was my reaction. I was like, that that just sounds, come on, they have to have like a longer view on this. Right. Like there has to be like kind of some understanding that like, yeah, most people like some that these are, but I don't, but like the response I've gotten, this is just like, obviously this is like anecdotal from a few employees that have agreed to talk to me, but like the response I got was like, no, like there actually isn't like this type of thing. You don't get rewarded for doing this. And like the integrity team was like kind of one of the few that did. So like, I don't know. So that is something that I think is unique to Facebook or, I mean, maybe actually I take that back. I don't know that that's unique to Facebook, but I do know that that's right. happening at Facebook and that it might be one of the reasons that like some of the things that Francis said and has come out with and has said is like really bring true for people. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I had written about this a few weeks ago um, and, and I'm sort of trying to figure out like there is a, there is an argument and it's something I've been thinking about for, for a few years now. There is an argument that, you know, how much of this is driven by the nature of, you know, the, the sort of quarterly reporting system and what Wall Street demands, right? So we've seen lots of examples where, 
you know, if any of these companies, the, the public ones, not just Facebook, but I've seen it with, with Twitter, certainly, and, and Google, and to some extent, Amazon as well. Like, if they're making any move that is seen as um, potentially decreasing user growth or, you know, uh, de- decreasing revenue, you know, spending on, on something, Wall Street flips out and, you know, and, and punishes the company and punishes the stock. Um, and so there is this element of like, instead of blaming these companies, should we blame the, the larger system that that is, you know, how Wall Street works? Um, but, you know, but the more I thought about that, you know, it feels like other companies handle it better than, than Facebook does. That that and, and so you know I was sort of trying to figure out and and so then there's like a whole bunch of reasons why that might be one is like the sheer scale of Facebook like you know when you have a company that large maybe there is only one thing and you want to get everybody on the same page and that is the easiest thing to focus on but I I don't know I don't know if I buy that like you know and, and so you look at like Amazon and I remember because I'm old you know for for the first. 10 to 15 years of Amazon's existence, Jeff Bezos kept telling Wall Street, like, we're not we're not focused on user growth right now. We are focused on doing right by the customer. And we believe in the long term that's going to be better. And Wall Street punished him for for years. There, there were all of these. I mean, it would actually be a fun project at some point to go back and look at how Wall Street responded to to Amazon. You know, I remember when they launched Prime and and Wall Street just flipped out and was like this is the dumbest thing you're doing and and Bezos said to them like I know it it's a hit in short term profits but in long term you know we're going to to build a better customer experience um and Facebook just doesn't seem to be able to do that and I don't know why yeah and I don't know why like you know Mark doesn't just come out and say like, I mean, who knows, you know, he might not want to, but it feels like, I mean, he's got enough control certainly of the company that he could come out and say, we're going to focus on something uh, on a more long-term project. Uh, and in the short term, it's going to hit user growth and it's going to hit revenue, but we're going to build a better overall experience for, for, to make this into a sustainable company. I don't know if that's what the whole meta thing is an attempt to do in a really awkward way, but it feels like he could and should do that. And I don't know why he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I actually am not. This is like I I can speculate to some degree, but it is speculation. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's a little bit squawk box kind of stuff. Like I don't really like claim <laughs> to have and don't make the business model side of things my expertise. But yes, everything you said seems to me parses entirely with me. It, it seems like from a completely unnuanced kind of outsider's perspective when you just look at the business of Facebook that they they and the upper level management that advises Mark like kind of realized that there was um, they had a great formula of user growth mm-hmm. and monthly average users and daily average users and engagement and that the more they could increase that metric they could just keep minting money. And mm-hmm. that was, and that has not like, let's just be totally honest, that like has yet to serve them wrong. Like, right. <laughs> like they like they've had yeah. short-term hits, but like that has that has not like made anyone less rich. So like, yeah, right, that's right. um, you know, and like <laughs> your point with Bezos is like maybe correct and is maybe one of the reasons that we will see Amazon in 20 years and 40 years and 60 years and we won't see Facebook but I'm just like you know I'm not gonna I don't play like the kind of looking into the crystal ball do I think the Wall Street is like a stupid metric for anything like yes like (laughs) like uh, like, I don't really want to get into like kind of like the like the the snake oil kind of like the of of that level of capitalism but yes i i think that like that when you when you optimize for that and i don't think by the way that there isn't there aren't a lot of people who work inside facebook and really want to optimize for other oh, things sure. and i also think that like yeah. i also think that there's probably many of them that are not justifying this from a like a monetary perspective i think that's probably one metric they think in but i think that they also think that if they grow the company they'll be able to do from a monetary perspective they'll be able to do other good things all of this is just to say right. is people will justify this however they want to 
it has certainly paid off fiscally for them so far. Right, right. Yeah, and, 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 and to be fair, right, you know, I mean, kind of what I was just doing there is what, I, what I'm claiming a lot of the, the news organizations are doing as well, which is this, this is an incredibly complex situation with, with a, a massive company uh, with billions of users and has a number of different competing incentives and the whole situation is complex and you can't reduce it down to a to a simple description uh which i just tried to do no but i think which i I think is kind of natural but i think that that's i think here's i mean here is like a here uh, to like make your point and like kind of like to kind of put like a just a one small product area on it like where they could have Mm -hmm. in 2013 um just from a lot of the people I talked to within the company that were working in content management at the time, there was a moment that like or shortly before that, that like and shortly after in which people who were familiar with content moderation and the scale of it and trust and safety were realizing and had realized for some time quite how difficult this was and how it was only right. going to get more and more difficult and more and more critical and that it was the product that they were serving to users and that the product was going to Mm -hmm. get worse or more unmanageable or like, or, and create issues for the company. And that there was a desire to kind of stick to some really core principles rather than quick fix solutions or putting out fires or a desire to kind of reset the system that had been built Mm -hmm. in a way like most systems are for a period of time at the beginning that are built around putting out fires. And then you pause and you try to like codify things. You try to like kind of align things. You try to create some consistency and organization in the signals that you've gotten out of all these fires, right? Like there was a Mm -hmm. desire to do that, I think in the company at a certain period of time. And I think that that was resisted because it was not seen as particularly important or it wasn't seen as particularly urgent or it just was not understood as a problem. Um, and that right. that is like I will tell you like I don't know that that was picked for like monetary reasons, but it was discounted like as like a as like right. as an issue that was going to be an issue going forward. And I would say by 2018, which was when this really started to change, like it was maybe a little too late. Um, right. And so you kind of are in a place that the company is just like, you know. Um, lost a lot of institutional history and key players that know how this stuff works and how to do it well. And like, I I will say that the teams that they put in place to kind of do this better are phenomenal, but they're still like, I think that some of some of the things that you see from the Facebook papers that Francis released is that they're not, they're still not always listened to. Right. Yeah. and, And I think, I mean, again, like to add in another layer of context, you know, people forget that in that sort of 2011 to 2013 14 period like facebook took a dive i mean they they hit some some rough spots and you know they went public and the stock started dropping uh, and they they were losing users for a while they they really turned stuff around um but they they were in trouble and and you know having seen enough of this you you can tell how how companies react which is like when when stuff starts falling and and things start going bad you know you focus on just riding the ship and you don't necessarily focus on like the the long-term good idea so i'm imagining that that was you know it's probably about the same time that all of this was happening where the company was sort of very focused on like we need to write this ship because otherwise you know facebook is not going to exist um, which you know maybe was an exaggeration, but I could I could understand where internally that was probably some of the thinking, where you know then the focus is like sure we want to do stuff that is good for society uh, in the long run, but we're not going to be able to do that if the company just you know completely disappears. Um, it, that feels weird to say now because like the idea of like Facebook you know completely disappearing feels different, but it's it's hard to like go back to that time period and and remember sort of the context that it was in. Yeah. Um, to, so to bring it back around a little bit to the to the research question, um, do you think that there's a, a, a better way that companies can, you know, set themselves up to do this research that won't, you know, won't won't be used against them in this way? I mean, it's sort of like a, a, a strange question to ask, but like, is there a better way that 
that companies could be encouraged to do this research, which I do think is useful and important, um, and and not be scared away from it. I mean, there could be some type of carrot that you give them, um, some type of. And I don't particularly know what it would be, frankly, because the legality of mm-hmm. the situation is that again, this is not like this is not them facing. Um, this is not them facing legal liability for like having done a study about Instagram. A 40 person study, I will add, like a very small (laughs) study. (laughs) Like I think that the, the, the over rotation on the Instagram story was maybe one of the most maddening things in a long time, um, for me personally, but the, but I will say that like that type of thing, um, but that type of study is important, like in the long term. uh, how do you create some an incentive to keep doing those studies when it creates like PR liability? I mean, that's not controllable by like any type of regulation, right? Like that's right. the thing is that like regulation can only bring like legality into into effect here. <laughs> and like and they can what all that does is create basically, um, you know, so let's say we mandate that they do certain types of studies and report their findings. Like, just say, like, let's forget all the First Amendment. Let's forget, like, whatever else. Just, like, let's say that we could do that. Wave a wand. Like, let's say that we could do something like an SEC type of filing that they have to say about internal Mm -hmm. studies that they've done, right, that are requested by outside resources or or outside researchers. There is that just like create like then they do the studies and they report them. But that's a legal thing that requires them to do it if we can possibly pass something like that and then there would be liability legally for them like lying to us or telling us something but yeah i think that we're kind of coming up against the end of this kind of shiny self-regulatory period which has turned out to not be so shiny um and in which like i i actually think it's also just a sad tale and like the fact that facebook is going to get hammered and remembered probably for being doing such a lackluster job and not listening to its own studies when actually it was kind of one of the only ones out there even doing them to begin with. But like, that's, you know, that's history for you. Uh, And no good deed goes unpunished. But like, (laughs) I do think that like, I mean, the answer here is that we're done. We're done. Like I think with self-regulation, there's no way to create um, an incentive from a normative standpoint that basically solves this either they, I mean, the only thing left to do from a consumer standpoint is regulation. If you want this kind of work done, you're going to have to force them to do it under under force of law. Right. I mean, I mean, which opens up a whole can of worms, which is you addressed in your in your Twitter thread as well. Um, I mean, one, obviously, the the how constitutional all of that is, um, but but also, you know, when you introduce regulation in this manner, right? I mean, you're creating liability and and almost every company will do its best to avoid liability, right? So even if you're requiring them to do stuff, if, if you know, I fear that two things, um, and, and you know this obviously, is like some of it is that, you know, the companies will work hard to make sure that it is designed in a way that, that lets them avoid having to constantly go to court and fight this stuff. Um, and so I fear that sort of what comes out of this is is a very watered down situation as well. So even if you're forcing them to look inward and have some sort of introspection and report on this stuff, you know, I, I, as soon as you introduce liability, everybody's going to be tiptoeing around it and being really careful and trying to figure out what is the way that we can, you know, release the 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 you know, do the least amount possible to satisfy the the legal requirements without doing anything actually important. I mean, yes, or they do the most amount possible (laughs) in order to satisfy the legal requirements. I mean, like, yes, this is the problem with like any type of like uh, any type of transparency requirement is that it basically cuts both ways. You have things like the SEC, which is like you get mealy mouthed 10 Ks that like don't actually tell you anything and aren't real transparency into stuff. I mean, but the other the other side of this, frankly, is just like, what else have we got? There isn't that much from at least in terms of these like we can talk about you can have me back and we can talk about interoperability and middleware. Um, but like, right. but like at least from, yeah, I know, stop <laughs> laughing so hard. Uh, but like at least from a, um, 
at least from like a, <laughs> a, a research perspective. Uh, this right. is the, the options are fairly limited without, I think, without starting to have um, regulation coming in from the outside. Does that is that a perfect fit? No, like generally, I think that regulation has huge downsides and that like a lot of times it ends up like not creating the like the best possible has the externalities of basically creating a clunky performative system for the regulation that it puts in place. How else? I don't know how else to kind of like say that kind of elegantly, but basically yeah. that like I'm not without sounding like I'm some type of like crazy, no offense, crazy libertarian, but there's like, but there's, um, uh, but I do think that basically, I'm not going to take offense. Yeah. To you're like, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm cool with it. Like when, <laughs> I'm, I came into peace with that a long time ago. No, but like, I do think that like, I, I believe that this has, listen, I feel like it, like, I feel that the reason we turn and have turned towards self-regulation for so long was because of First Amendment concerns and trying to Mm -hmm. thread what in the U.S. is a very tiny eye hole, frankly, of a needle um, to be able to do something that would bring about these reforms. And one of the things that we did was to try to incentivize um, self-regulation within these private companies. That is clearly in many regards no longer meeting the necessary requirements for society. And so like, we're going to have to transition to something new and we're going to have to try to like make a, try to like, try to thread that needle. Like, and it's, you know, and I think that we're finally coalescing to enough signals and enough norms around certain types of technologies that we're starting to see some consistent ideas emerge among really smart people. And that's, I guess, a little bit hopeful for me. Um, Rather than like some of like the crazy, crazy stuff that you and I both know has come up over the last decade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still see most a lot of the crazy stuff gaining traction and and certainly, you know, I mean, part of it is 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 not not just U.S. based and there's a lot less, you know, willingness to hold back outside of the U.S. And, you know, we're seeing crazy ideas in Australia and the U.K. and and the E.U., um, and all of that may be driving this too. Like what the U.S. does may not matter, you know, honestly, in the long run. Um, and what the First Amendment doesn't allow may not matter in the long run if if all of these companies have to abide by, you know, whatever crazy result, you know, come, comes out of everywhere else. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think, you know, maybe there'll be this sort of, you know, slightly different company in the u.s versus outside the u.s but you know it's the same companies you know they're they're going to have to abide by these these laws if they want to still exist outside the u.s um so even though i agree that a lot of i I think a lot of the proposals even the ones in the u.s are (laughs) clearly don't meet wouldn't live up to first amendment scrutiny that might not matter right yeah i think that that's right and i think that there's um but I do think that the U.S. being the home to a lot of these companies has some real um, ability, especially in terms of like the hard technical kind of solutions that we're, we've talked about, the interoperability and middleware solutions. Mm-hmm. I really do think that that is a place that U.S. intervention can, can have an effect. Um, and I say that because I think that a lot of the – we have like um, – the Online Harms Act out of the UK. We have the DSA right. out of EU. We've had GDPR. They renamed it. It's the Online Safety. Is Act. it Online Safety Act? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, I know. I like. It's hard to keep like, up. I have like a file on my computer that's just like drafts and then red line drafts and then like more. I'm like I have no idea what I'm even reading anymore. <laughs> but um, I will say that this is like an addendum that I put at the end of my thread, which was basically after talking about like what the politics are in the U.S. from a very. Right. And I don't this isn't a politics show, so I'll like spare everyone the details. But the <laughs> the political non viability of a lot of these these bills that are coming forward from just a very pragmatic standpoint. And at the end of the day, we're just going to be 
standing around, having been outregulated by every other entity in the transnational space, most importantly, the EU, China, and like, I think probably Mm -hmm. Australia is actually, frankly, in my mind, at the bottom of the list of concerns that I have. But like, I really do feel like that there's that these are just going to be these decisions are going to be made for us. there are some things the GDPR has data portability provisions. They just we haven't mm-hmm. seen what they mean yet in practice. And like we haven't seen, <laughs> right. you know, and so there's a lot of things that like I think are waiting for maybe not waiting for, but like will have different import and different types of impact. What if they come from a U.S. Um, perspective than anywhere else? I mean, also, Mike. Despite the fact that like Facebook has seven to nine percent, only seven to nine percent of users, I point this out. I pointed this out on Twitter a few days ago, and I've said it in a presentation a few times. Like the average daily rate that they're making off every user in the U.S. and Canada is like fifty-six dollars, and the next closest is the EU. Right? Do you know what the Do you know what the average daily rate for them is? I Make don't. a guess. Uh just by your tone, <laughs> I'm going to guess like a lot less. So like 15. Yeah, it's like $14. So like okay. that's the mo- <laughs> like that is the next region. It's like $56 right. in the U.S. and Canada right. and $14 in like the EU. And then like Asia and Pacific is like four or something or seven. I, I mean, like I can't remember. Yeah. And like the rest of the world is like two dollars and four cents or something like that. And like, right. I don't think that that's actually I want to be super clear. That's not to say like, oh, well, that's why they put so much time and effort into the U.S. Right. or whatever. I, it is not that one to one. There is so much cross subsidization, right. cross subsidization and kind of how they structure things and how they're growing markets. This is I don't want to oversimplify it. Right. But I will say that, like the U.S., despite its small user base and despite kind of like the Brussels effect of what's happening in the EU still has a lot to say about right. about kind of about this policy. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like from what I've seen and what I've heard, that's true of, of the other, you know, social networks as well. It's not just Facebook. I think, you know, the, the amount of money that Twitter makes off of U.S. users is far, far above and beyond what it makes outside. Yep. Um, so I just think and, that, that so, we have yeah. clout like we. You know, and I think that that, uh, you know, and it's not just clout because we have Silicon Valley and we have the First Amendment. Well, I don't know what the heck, which direction that goes, (laughs) but we have clout because we have Silicon Valley and these companies like, you know, as Delaware corporations or whatever. We have clout because actually like I and not because we can turn them off. Like there's no way we could do that. But I do think because like we basically are such a huge it's such a huge um, it's such a huge market share. Yeah. I mean, there's an element to this also, which is like, you know, you could argue that there are, and and it has been argued that, you know, other industries don't do any of this introspection at all. Right. I mean, and like the most obvious one being sort of like the cable news industry. Right. And and there's significant evidence uh, that, you know, that, that the impact they have on society is significant also. But immediately everyone sort of recognizes there's a pretty serious First Amendment issue if you're saying, well, we, we have to investigate, you know, how much harm uh, cable news uh, does to society. And, you know, I find that interesting how quickly everyone sort of immediately assumes that it's, it, it's all on the social media networks and not on other industries as well. Um, yeah, not to like go back to like, not to kind of pull back too much, um, but I think that that's completely mm-hmm. right. But in my mind, and this is pulling from kind of my my training early on is kind of like in cognitive neuroscience and stuff. Like if you look at like how people blame, like if you look at how and uh-huh. why people blame things and how you can trace causation to certain types of things, the reason that people search for blame is both like from a least cost not just least cost provider, it's like typically they're trying to find the thing that they think is going to make the biggest difference if they can change it in the future going forward. And now there is an there is one step closer. If they saw it on Facebook, it seems more salient. It seems like that is the reason, even if it's it's, even if it's a clip of Tucker Carlson on Fox News on Facebook, 
the thing that like strikes them as, you know, like there is like this and and that's a and I just wanted to say that because it's just like that's a story that doesn't have like when we say like, oh, it seems like this huge inconsistency. Yes, it is a huge inconsistency. You are not wrong for like mm-hmm. point for like having like the clear vision of being able to point out that people don't hold these two seemingly seemingly similar <laughs> structures to the same level of right. culpability. But that being said, like there's a reason it happens. And I, I just think that like understanding that helps a little bit, like why right now this is the focus of everything. Um Right. And right. uh yeah. And also trying to figure out like, will we really actually make people feel better if we solve this problem? Like, or if we like or if we hold Facebook accountable in some way, like all of the anger and outrage and like that is directed at Facebook that's almost um, makes it seem like they like I was listening the other day on NPR and I was doing an interview for on the media and there was a Mm -hmm. clip on point and they said there was a clip of a guy being like I hate that Zuckerberg I heard he lost 19 million in that outage the other day I'm so happy I'd like to punch (laughs) that guy in the face and have this small and I was like uh, I'm like listening to this and like at some point I like they, they kind of came to me for comment. I'm like, I just want to say like that type of outrage at something is like why we have a deliberative process of democracy. <laughs> like right. this is crazy. Um, but that is how people feel. And you can't over kind of allow people to over rotate on that. Um, although we seem and, you know, and we're not talking about the fact that the ad system that Facebook uses is the same ad system that the media uses to foment the same outrage and the same headlines and the same everything else to work people up in this way. And so I wish that that was more of the conversation every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because, and I, I've talked about this before, probably on the podcast, but, but certainly on tech dirt, you know, because I had written, I had written an article a few years ago that just said, you know, would, people rather see a better Facebook or a dead Facebook. And and the number of people who immediately went to dead Facebook, I don't care, it should die, um, really concerned me because it's just like, you know, it, it sort of gets at what, what are we trying to get at here? Are we trying to improve things or are we trying to punish someone? And, and so many people are focused on the punitive aspect and like, well, yes, we need to punish as opposed to like, we need to make things better. No, that's... And that just... In, in general concerns me. Can I also talk for a second about something I think has been interesting, which is kind of a little Absolutely. a little bit the elitism that I'm hearing around some of these complaints, which is really f- weird. Um, it reminds me, Jason Furman has a great paper. He's Obama's former economic advisor, but a great paper mm-hmm. back from back in the day, I think like 2008, when everyone was clamoring about how Walmart was making everyone's lives worse and the globalization was mm-hmm. this terrible thing. And that uh, all of these mom and, you know, mom and pop stores were going out of business. And it was a study basically showing that in poor rural communities in most of America, that the establishment of Walmart had dramatically increased ability, like had dramatically increased both people's ability to like one stop shop and save time when they had multiple jobs, better availability Mm -hmm of services like a pharmacy and you know a 24 hour pharmacy and like better availability of things like of just all types of goods that they didn't have available before. And it was kind of a rebuke to the side, I think of like the limousine liberal at the time kind of, well, we hate Walmart because it's so unpalatable. We hate the type of people we see there or we hate like the obesity or whatever you were going to do to like throw at Walmart. And like, I think Furman's paper is pretty much like, but hey, when you set that aside, everyone's lives is like all of these people that you claim to be wanting to help, their lives are actually a lot better because Walmart exists. And, you know, right. So how do we manage the desire for both like a mom and pop type of small business with with that type of availability of service and product that is superior? And that's the hard question that no one's talking about. It's all right. just like kill, 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 die, die, you know, like get rid of yeah. Walmart, get rid of Facebook, get rid of, you know. So <laughs> I just think that there is, I do think that like, it's hard to take the, it's hard to take the long view. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, which sort of seems to be the theme of this this entire discussion. Um, just, to, just to close out the discussion, too, there's something else that I've been thinking about sort of related to all of this, which is that, you know, with, you know, I started out by talking about some of the, the reporting on the studies that I thought was, you know, took things out of context and was, was perhaps inaccurate. And I, I worry a little bit that, that that also gives Facebook, leaving aside the sort of the, the politics of it and, and sort of the, you know, the, the, um, the policy side of it, it gives Facebook a kind of out. And, and I've sort of seen this with the way that, that certainly Mark has responded to all of this, um, saying like, this is not the Facebook that we know. Um, you know, their thing is basically saying like, this reporting is wrong and it's misleading and therefore we, we don't have to necessarily take it seriously, or at least that's, that's one way of looking at it. And so, you know, it, to me, it, it sort of reminds me in the same sense that, like, you know, whenever, you know, in the in the Trump era, whenever, you know, uh, you know, an article about the administration got like one point wrong, it was sort of used to dismiss the entire article as sort of, you know, fake news or whatever you want to call it, um, or, you know, presented in a slightly different way. It, it, it's very easy to then sort of dismiss the rest of it. And, and I kind of fear that that's now happening with with the Facebook papers where the reporting on it hasn't, some of it's been good. And, and I, I don't mean to smear all of the reporting. And I think they're really good reporters and they're all trying you know, for the most part, to do do a good job, but a lot of it has been sort of out of context or 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 slanted in its own way, and that allows Facebook to say, "Well, this is not true. You're you're inaccurately reporting it, and therefore not taking taking the the legitimate point seriously." And and do you do you fear that that you know that hurts as well? Yeah, but doesn't that just happen with everything all the time anyway? Like, sorry, sure. like, but like, <laughs> yes, but I know not, I'm sorry, I'm such, this is why no one ever invites me on their podcast, Mike, because I'm just like, no. wait, but isn't this just life? And isn't this just what happens? No, that's, that's why I invite you <laughs> on the podcast, because I know you'll say uh, that. So no, that's oh, good. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, no, I think that that's, I think that that's exactly, I think that that's exactly right. But like, this is also the super important takeaway from what you just said, which is that like, you can't like, and this is the frustration of, I think any, like I purposefully did not write about any of the things that I thought were flawed in the Facebook reporting Mm -hmm. because I had to take some type of actual normative stance mentally for myself. That was like, if I do this, people are going to misconstrue what I'm saying and (laughs) there will be, People who end up using this paper that was meant to create more descriptive accuracy in this system to make some type of overclaim point that there was like all of this stuff. And I kind of like I even hesitate with the point that I'm on on the show today for, because one of the things that I think that people could take away from that is like, see, the whistleblower shouldn't have done this. And that is 110 percent not what I'm saying, like in any way, like I'm just saying, like, listen, now this is the next thing that happens that you might not realize when you have (laughs) a culture of whistleblowers. Maybe we need a culture of whistleblowers. That might be the time that we're at. This might be great in the long term and might create other types of like long term change and effect. And like maybe that is the pressure pain point that we need for this these companies. But I'm just saying that like right. if there are these studies, <laughs> they're not going to happen anymore. Um, and so that's like it's yeah. just. But yes, I completely agree with that. I do think that that's happened here. It's a super frustrating part of trying to do any type of descriptive work in a yeah and i mean i know this even when i was in the job market four years ago i would walk into a room and present the paper that i'd written and it was a very descriptive empirical paper and it really did not come to a normative conclusion it was really just trying to be like this Mm -hmm. is what's on the ground this is how these companies are working and this is how we should think about it and people were apoplectic that as like a kind of legal scholar, I was not like, so what should we do? How should we fix Facebook? How should we fix Twitter? How should we make this better? And I was like, I don't know yet. Do you like, I don't know yet. Like, but even if I did, like, who are you? Like, what do you know? 
like you know do you know in a, like <laughs> if you know like then you should then like wh- how are you in a position to know more than me like i don't know like i guess it's like <laughs> right. like i'm like uh, if i don't know like and i've done like all and like i just kind of feel like that's how i felt for 6 years and after 6 or 7 years of just like not just like in the company but watching and really reading up and like i thought antitrust for a while had like a maybe mm-hmm. had maybe purchase i actually was like kind of like i And now I've spent six months reading antitrust papers and trying to come to my own conclusions Mm -hmm. and like teaching myself antitrust law. And I have a like I have a much different stance on it and like much less optimistic about it as a as a solution. But like I came to that completely on my but like, I don't know. So now I kind of it's like about it's like I just think that we're this is the one optimistic takeaway. I know we have to wrap up, but like (laughs) this is the one optimistic takeaway is that I do see the people around me that I have found that I respect their methodology um, the most in the last seven years, seven to 10 years, that like they are aligning independently around a, a certain number of ideas as ter- in terms of reform. And that actually is really, I think I take that as, I take that as a positive. I take that as a really yeah. great because I just didn't see that before. Did you? Did you? Do you think that like set six or seven years ago there was like consistent, like consistent kind of people saying the same words, like every time they talk to Congress? Uh, yeah. No, no, definitely not. Right. Or, or if they were, they were. Yeah. It was, there was not. There was not clarity. Um, and I think that that there definitely is a lot more now. Though I think there's still a lot of disagreement. But, but I think. Um, well, I'm going to circle around a little bit and, and then answer your question. So, like, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I also am sort of annoyed by the people who say, like, you can't point out a problem unless you also point out the solution, which I think is is wrong because there's lots of times where you can see what is a real problem and it is worth calling out. Um, and you need to explore really kind of the root causes of that before you can really think through the through the solution. So like, that's why I certainly appreciate, you know, the work that you've done and sort of like going deep and really exploring like what what is actually happening on the ground. We, we didn't have a good picture before and, and you, you've been able to do that and really highlight that. And I think that's really valuable because you if you want to come up with a solution, you do need to understand that first. And, and that, you know, that doesn't mean that like presenting that without also suggesting solutions means that you've you haven't done enough. I think it's it is the step in the direction that, that is necessary. And, and I think that what is interesting in the last few years is that as more people have understood all that and and been able to really think through and begin to recognize like this thing that looked like an easy solution has a lot more, you know, complexity and nuance and potential pitfalls than we realized originally, I think that's important. And so I think now we're like enough, like smart, thoughtful people who recognize the nuance are beginning to think through, like, how do we navigate this very, very complex situation in a way that, you know, we know will have consequences and we know has trade-offs, but how do we start to actually think about the trade-offs you know, with that complexity and not just present the sort of simple solution, the, the break them up or, you know, get rid of 230 as the sort of simple solution w- without sort of understanding all, all of the, the consequences of that. So I, I do think, you know, it is interesting and we've, we've had a lot more of these sort of more careful nuanced discussions and obviously like the middleware interoperability discussions I think have been particularly interesting. Um, but I still think that there's like another layer of nuance and complexity that we haven't quite reached yet. So I'm I'm optimistic in some of the direction, but I'm still worried about some of the other stuff. Yeah, I think that that's I mean, I think that that's fair. I just man, I just it's getting to the point that like <laughs> I I mean, I really it's actually very funny because I'm switching over to an Airbnb project and um, looking and I'm like, oh, man, I can't t- handle the like the craziness of the speech of like online speech is just like too much and i'm jumping straight into like homeowners associations and i'm like what the hell was i thinking that this would be less political than online speech yeah um but it just goes to show that like this is just i don't know how how do i like i think that like you have to if you're if you really want to to if like your goal is really to make things better 
you can just ha- you can't fall for the grift and you have to fall right. for like and there is so much grift here uh, that it is unbelievable yes. because there's so <laughs> much at stake and so much money um, and so much notoriety. Um, and so you just can't fall for the grift and you have to kind of, you know, there's just a lot of bills that we've passed and someone I had someone on the show on my show the other day that kind of said something like if it's got a name, if a law has a name, it's a bad law like type of thing. But like <laughs> it doesn't actually like if it's named after a, chi- a dead child, like it's right, not right, going to actually right. help children. It's just like something performative. Right. I think that that's really the key takeaway here. Like, are you interested in like making hay for yourself and your like and gaining right. gaining headway for your constituency, or are you actually and actually are you interested in actually making the internet a better, safer, can like free place for ideas and people, right. and not ruining throwing out the good with the bad and like action, but like actually recognizing there's a lot of bad and we can do a lot of work there. Like, so I just, I, I think that that type of thing just requires a lot of work and it's easier to grift. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> no, but I, I, I should note, like, I do appreciate it. And like, I, I think that, that obviously you and, and, you know, there are a bunch of other people who, who are thinking through how complex this really is and are willing to recognize that there aren't simple answers. And I think that's, that's really important and really valuable. And, and if, if there's one message that I can get, you know, out of all this is that like, you know, we should be focused on, on people who recognize that these are complex issues and that there aren't easy answers. And I know that there's, you know, that it is the, the sort of grifter's approach to focus on the simple solutions because that's, that's where the grift is, right? <laughs> is that I have the answer, right? I will solve all of this. Um, and, and I think that recognizing the, you know, the problem is the non-grifters, the people who recognize the, the complexity of this also tend to have some level of humility to recognize that even, you know, within that complexity, even if we have ideas and suggestions, they might not work either. And they have consequences and nuance and trade-offs and, and all of that. And, and nobody can predict, you know, how it all, all work, you know, will, will come out in, in the end. And sort of having that that level of humility, I think, is is really important. But it doesn't make for good headlines. It, it doesn't make for for good screaming matches. It doesn't make uh, and, for a good job talk. Let me. T- no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But no, it doesn't. No, really. Like it's just kind of like yeah, yeah. being like uh, maybe is like the very right. hard thing. Like when you know yes. people like people like hearing a sigh. But yes, I think that that's I think that that's yeah. true. But I do think we uh, we. You know, we soldier on, and uh, they're <laughs> yes, yes. and uh, they haven't shut us down yet, Mike. So <laughs> not, not, not yet, not yet, not yet. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for for taking the time for for having this discussion. Uh, I do think it's it's a valuable one and important for people to hear, and hopefully, you know, to to nuance and complexity, <laughs> and, and hopefully, people will get that message. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just like I'll tattoo it on my forehead and make it nice and unnuanced for them. So (laughs) (laughs) there we go. There we go. All right. Well, uh, thanks again. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week.